and welcome once again to Father Spitzer's Universe at the very busy intersection of faith and reason. And I'm Doug Keck, your gatekeeper here, Mother Angelica Way, where it all began back in 1981. Email your questions to us at spitzersuniverse at ew10.com. That's how we get the questions to uh, uh, put forward on the program and challenge Father Spitzer. And you can check out all of Father Spitzer's websites where he populates all that great information on the magiscenter.com, crediblecatholic.com, and purposefuluniverse.com. What's great about them, they're all different and all have different focuses, so find the one that works for you. And of course, Father Spitzer's Universe is always available on our EW10 YouTube channel, I make sure of that, and the EW10 On Demand page. And while you're on our On Demand page, be sure to check out an EW10 Holy Land experience. Our great pals, Father Joseph and Father Mark, take you to all the well-known sites in the Holy Land, including Bethlehem, the Garden of Gethsemane, and even the Upper Room with our Lord had his last supper, a truly great show to prepare for Lent, of course. Check it out for free on our on-demand page. And check that out. We have tons of programming there. Today's topic is pride, and we are proud of all of our programs and in a polite, friendly way, and of course, based on Father's book, Christ versus Satan in Our Daily Lives, available through the EW10 Religious Catalog, ours are his other newer books as well. And we have books of the month that we publish on EW10 as well, The Everyday Miracles of Lords, True Stories Lived and Loved Along the Way to the Grotto. It's a very powerful book by our friend Marlene Watkins. And, uh, you know, great, great stories of spiritual and physical healings as well. And with that, we'll turn to Father Spitzer, our spiritual uh, guide for this uh, next hour, and ask him to open up with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your many blessings to us, the blessing especially of this ministry and our ability to serve in it. Send your Holy Spirit down upon us now, Doug, myself, our whole audience and staff, so that everything we do and say will be brought to fruition in your will for the good of your people, your church, and your kingdom. We ask all of these things through Jesus our Lord, amen. amen and Mary, seat of wisdom, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen, and Everyday Miracles uh, of Lourdes is, is like I mentioned that book. I was wondering, have you been to Lourdes, Father? Yes, I have, and it was a very spiritual experience uh, for me. Mm -hmm. I, I did it um, just uh, before I entered the Jesuit novitiate. Mm -hmm. I was in Spain uh, at a conference with uh, some really uh, wonderful philosophers, Joseph Pieper, Fritz Wilhelmsen, Bertrand de Mangerie, and so forth and so on. We had a wonderful time there, and one of the side trips we did was to Lourdes, and when I hit that first candlelight mm -hmm. procession, it was so beautiful. It was so spiritual. It just really got to me. Mm -hmm. And then when I read these miracles like Gabriel Gargam, you know, and uh, John Trainer, and so many others, it turned out that it wasn't just the baths um, that healed these men from really, truly uh, disastrous, uh, you know, injuries that they had and atrophied muscles, severed nerves, you know, big, huge hole in the forehead et cetera, et cetera, and all of them were healed. I mean, including the hole in the head mm -hmm. where there's only just a little bit of an indentation left. I mean, instantaneously, mm -hmm. these guys were healed. But anyway, it was the Eucharistic blessing that 
you know, completed the miracle because both Gargam and Trainer, when they left the baths, uh, they were still in really terrible condition, and they were just being wheeled over uh, in a gurney back to the uh, residence, the hospital residence that they had there. And as they were coming back toward that hospital, um, uh, both of them, you know, and it wasn't at the same time, but um, but uh, they encountered a bishop leading a Eucharistic procession. The bishop blesses these guys with the Holy Eucharist, and the next thing you know, boom! I mean, they're just leaping, leaping uh, off their the gurneys that they were in. Of course, how would you do that if you haven't walked for you know years? Mm -hmm. And and how would you possibly you know, your your muscles and your in your uh, legs would be completely atrophied? And, and of course, these guys who had no, uh, you know, severed, they had severed nerves, and one of them in, in, in his left shoulder, John Trainer, and a, another one who just hadn't eaten any solid food for like two years since he had, you know, been thrown, you know, maybe uh, 70 yards uh, in front of him, you know, when a, tra a train hit his train. He was a mail sorter on a train, and he goes forward. He's just totally, you know, demolished. And these guys get up. The first thing Gabriel Gargam Gar does, he's the guy who was demolished, is he says, oh, I'd like a nice hearty meal. I hadn't eaten anything for a couple of years. And it was on, you know, uh, uh, you know intravenous feeding. And the other one, John Trainer, this guy leaps out of his gurney and goes, Blessed Virgin Mary has to be thanked. So he runs down to the grotto. He runs down to the grotto and he's sitting there kneeling there. And, and it's almost as if he's forgotten how you know, horribly injured right. he was. He had 30 epileptic seizures a day or something, and suddenly, you know, he's completely cured. Never had another epileptic seizure. It's the most remarkable thing. So anyway, the, right. the long and short of it is that Eucharistic blessing uh, if anybody thinks for just a second that the Lord's not trying to give us a sign, mm -hmm. I mean, it, the Eucharistic miracles are wonderful too. Right. But those those Lord's miracles, you know, it's a combination of the water and the and the Eucharistic right. blessing. Boy, that so just have, says it all. So based upon that, would that would would I infer correctly? You haven't been there since you had trouble with your vision per se. Uh, uh, no, I haven't uh, gone there. Of course, I've used the Lord's water, mm. but I haven't been there, um, uh, you know, to uh, to actually, you know, uh, maybe mm -hmm. immerse my eyes or something in the in right. the baths there. Um, but um, uh, you know. Um, I, I'm trusting that God will continue to lead me, but mm. perhaps I should. I mean, mm. it's really something. I mean, there's been so many remarkable miracles, 7,000 really, mm. that are sci recorded and scientifically inexplicable that, um, you know, the Lord's Medical Bureau, International mm. Medical Bureau, has on record. And, and those are truly, some of them mm. are remarkable. Uh, there's even one that, that um, wasn't. Um, you know, part of the uh, Lourdes Grotto, mm -hmm. it was actually a shrine in Belgium uh, to the uh, Lourdes, um, uh, you know, the, the, oh, the wow. baths okay. and so mm -hmm. forth at Lourdes. And it was a shrine, but this fellow, um, I'm trying to think of his name now, De Reuter was his name, and uh, I think it was Pierre De Reuter. And he basically, this guy, 
he, I shouldn't say this on the television, mm -hmm. but he had, you know, completely broken um, a leg underneath the, uh, the the kneecap, and it was freely swinging. I mean, mm -hmm. it could turn 180 degrees, and and uh, there was no, you know, muscle there. And the two bone uh, fragments had not been able to unite mm -hmm. because um, they had become basically. Uh, you know, moribund, you know, they, they, they were uh, deadened and right. then became blackened. And so uh, once you, you know, it's, it's necrosed, basically. Mm -hmm. And so uh, uh, they're, they're not going to unify together again, but he, he really wanted to get this cure. Mm -hmm. And it was very clear, you know, the muscles were, uh, you know, barely attached. Like I said, the, 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 the calf there was freely swinging. So anyway, the, the long and short is he goes to this shrine and he prays the minute he gets there, uh, you know, that he might be able to, you know, to get a cure so that he can go back and, and you know, be a good provider mm -hmm. for his family. This guy gets an instantaneous cure. And not only does he get the cure instantaneously, mm -hmm. remember, this was a free swinging uh, piece of... <laughs> Tissue, right. Well, you know, boned tissue, if right. I can put it that way. But uh, it completely connects. The two necrosed uh, parts of the, of the bone come together perfectly. And I'll give you just a, a sample of the, the real miracle here. Mm -hmm. But uh, he goes running off like uh, John Trainer, mm -hmm. um, And he, uh, he goes over to the, uh, to the church, to the shrine, and kneels down. His wife faints. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, she's been, you know, this guy has been incapable right. of any movement whatsoever all this time. And so uh, the, he runs over and he's kneeling down there. And, of course, uh, uh, she, she's dead out, fainted. And then he, um, he, he comes back to, the, uh, uh, to, to get evaluated by the uh, four physicians that had looked at him. And uh, the, the one of the physicians that was the, uh, a real expert, I forgot what his name was, Vandervoort or something, um, and, you know, he comes and looks at the guy, and he too just is speechless. He's, he truly uh, could not believe his eyes. And so uh, Vandervoort, who was a pledged, um, well, atheist, mm -hmm. he, I, I think I have his name correct. Anyway, mm -hmm. uh, he converted on the spot, and when he did convert, he, he basically found a great deal of peace. Well, anyway, this doctor writes up uh, the miracle, and what was so interesting about it is that there was a, a large chunk of bone that was still missing. Mm -hmm. So it would have been something like uh, a half a, a half inch of bone mm -hmm. um, that was gone, and I don't know what the diameter would have been precisely, but certainly uh, an, an inch um, by a half inches is probably a pretty good um, thought about uh, the diameter there. So maybe three quarters of mm -hmm. an inch around. But the point is, uh, three quarters of an inch in diameter. The amount of bone that you would need to fabricate to make the two legs equal again, uh, because the break, you know, took out this whole chunk of bone, that would require more material. Um, you know, I guess it would be uh, uh, the, the various materials that mm -hmm. constitute the bone, more material than is in a human body, um, by far, like five times more than you could ever have in your body at any one time, yet all that material 
comes into being equalizes the leg and not only attaches it and so this guy the, the guy who wrote it up um, you know basically said that this unqualifiedly you know a uh, um, a miracle and if anybody believes that this can per be produced by any form of sci scientific explanation tell me right. where did all the new material for all the bone come from wow. and if you can do that then I'm gonna believe right. that there's a naturalistic explanation if you can't there, it's beyond it's science so I mean these are the kinds mm -hmm. of miracles that, that happen at Lourdes all the time right anyway, well, I, just uh, yeah, got into I, it well I think it's it so make, fascinating maybe it'd be an interesting program to uh, follow you on your way to Lourdes or something like yeah. that where we could document that or something. Oh, wow. That might be an interesting uh, program. Yeah. I think our audience would be interested in that. We should talk about that. Okay, oh, sounds no, good. Yeah, okay. No, okay, that's great. a great yeah. idea. Okay, great good. idea. Okay, let me a trip to Lourdes. There you go, apparently. Oh, wow, now I got to pay for it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Doug. <laughs> Another freebie there, huh? Okay. Another freebie. <laughs> yeah. All right, so uh, let's let's take a look at a couple of things in the news before we get to our our questions for you. Sure. Uh, just uh, not to beat a dead horse on these things, but the. Uh, there was a certain reaction to uh, our Catholic president's statements at uh, the State of the Union recently where, and if you missed it, he said, the vice president and I are doing everything we can to protect access to reproductive health care, yeah. safeguard patient privacy, but already more than a dozen states are enforcing extreme abortion bans. Make no mistake, if Congress passes a national abortion ban, I will veto it. Uh, and there are a couple of comments from Catholic pro-life leaders. Uh, Catherine Lopez mentioned, yeah. don't call yourself Catholic and be so adamant, adamantly pro-abortion, Mr. President. And also Bishop uh, Tobin yeah. from Providence said, the State of the Union is fatally flawed if we're committed to supporting, promoting, and paying for abortion. And I know there was a, a member of uh, the, the House of Representatives from Massachusetts, I believe, I think it's Markey, who I think huh. went to uh, 50 years of Catholic education who had a pin on that uh, just yeah. said abortion on it. So uh, I don't know. We, something's yeah. wrong here. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I think uh, people can't connect up the uh, the moral requisites of uh, Christ's uh, commandments to us with the uh, with the, what they call uh, mm -hmm. faith in Jesus Christ. Somehow there there's some discontinuity mm -hmm. between. Um, you know, faith in Jesus Christ and the moral prescripts that he, he gives us. I mean, I, I just can't quite figure mm -hmm. it out, but gee, if you're going to call yourself a believer in Christ, you may as well believe, uh, you know, that uh, uh, what he said about uh, not just murder, mm -hmm. but what the Didache translates into a prohibition of abortion. And remember, the Didache is written uh, only in around 80 AD, so very much within living memory of Jesus. And there you get the strictest ban on abortion mm -hmm. possible in this first um, you know, there might be other Christian documents that were earlier than the Didache, but the Didache is the one that we have. That's the earliest one that we have, of course, besides the New Testament. Um, and it clearly has the, the ban on abortion right there. So from the time, you know, within living memory of Jesus onwards, the Catholic Church has been very consistently against this because right. it is really the killing of an innocent. And now in today's scientific world, we know this more than ever, right? We've got a full human genome. 
news that that's present there and we know you know that at least there's going to be some epigenetic phenomena that you know that happen along the way but basically the the, the gene is going to determine mm -hmm. this person's uh, physical uh, appearance and and many of his skills and sometimes uh, his or her you know um, uh, diseases or whatever that they're prone to etc cetera, etc cetera. so we know it's there we the, the other part is the zygote which we cannot forget this is a you know a pluripotent mm -hmm. cell in fact it's a toady potent cell I mean, it can you know basically become any kind of cell uh, you know a bone cell a skin cell a heart a cardiac heart cell whatever it can it can become any kind of cell and, and so you look at that one little zygote and you say well it's just one cell no it's 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 a very special cell that can become any other cell and it's going to be the originator the generator of every single solitary cell in that human being throughout the rest of his life and not only the originator of those cells but the unifier of those cells so you look at that zygote and you say hey you get the zygote plus the genome what are you going to add substantially to that human being right. oh yes there's going to be a lot of cell development coming from that one totipotent cell according to the prescripts uh, of the genetic code however th those things are just developments of the same substance the substance is there in total. Right. Don't tell me there's not a substantially whole, unique human being, which is why, right, all of these biologists, 68% um, in the United States and whatever it was, 94% or 95% internationally, mm -hmm. uh, professional biologists declare that the beginning of a new human being is indisputably right. conception or fertilization. But you know, so, now if you take a look at that. Right, but yeah. what's oh, interesting with that as, as you as you're saying it we're not even arguing about the first you know you know four weeks or the first six weeks or implant yeah. we're arguing about the fact yeah. that up until the point and virtually crossing over into the point that a child is born that people think yeah. abortion should be allowed Oh, yeah, no, I mean, uh, and it's clear that I think President Biden has made that statement himself, uh, and certainly uh, many other uh, uh, Catholic uh, politicians have. I, mm -hmm. I think it's... Uh uh, clearly so inconsistent not right. only with Catholic teaching uh, certainly we have that documented since the Didache mm -hmm. but Jesus himself who would I think have been horrified by the very prospect uh, uh, you know of killing an innocent human being in the womb I mean you know the Levitical code is very clear on this it's not good I mean it's a it's a primary evil so if you look at this you know from the time that we're not just talking Jesus on it I mean Moses yeah. on uh, we're, we're looking at the uh, uh, you know the the killing of a, of a preborn human being as being thought of as, as a murder because it is an innocent mm -hmm. human being so the the idea that yeah I'm going to be a, a, a good Catholic and take this fundamental intrinsic evil and just promote it wholesale uh, right. I mean, there's some kind of discontinuity here. I mean, this, this doesn't make any sense. You know, you know, I, I want to belong uh, to uh, the National Rifle Association. I, I, you know, I, I want to be uh, uh, the enemy of the National Rifle Association, but I want to own 15 guns myself just for home protection. Right. You know, I mean, it's, it's like uh, whatever you... No you know, consistency. If, if you're going to say you're a right. cart... Exactly. No you got to be consistent. Right. Well, uh, in, in kind of ancillary to that, but related, 
the Associated Press, which mm. most people use as being, in theory, in their mind, it's kind of a neutral news mm. uh, wire. It used to be years ago. It, it's not really anymore, but they, their style guide is used by, across the board in newsrooms. They've adopted an overt, yeah. this is uh, last week, overt pro-abortion stance in its language, instructing its reporters to avoid the use crisis pregnancy centers and pregnancy resource centers. Instead, they have to be listed as anti-abortion centers. Goes on to say the AP Guide <laughs> also directs that journalists to use the modifiers anti-abortion or abortion rights rather than pro-life, pro-choice, or pro-abortion unless there are actually quotes in the story. Also, avoid abortionist, which, con which connotes the person who performs clandestine abortions. So the person doing an abortion is not an abortionist. <laughs> that, that, that's only if it's illegal, yeah. apparently. And it goes on to say the yeah. AP allows, and this is talking about lack of consistency, the use of the term unborn baby and unborn child in cases not involving abortion. The examples offered in the guide are <clears throat> Weiss Sorry. said her love for her unborn baby was the strongest feeling she ever had felt and the expectant mother lost her baby in the seventh month of pregnancy so that's amazing right and when uh -huh. speaking about abortion uh -huh. AP counsels using the verb provide rather than the verb perform since the former has a more positive connotation so we're in the 1984 where words uh, have new meanings poured into them Newspeak, and of course, we take a euphemism and we just exponentially multiply it in every form of rhetoric. I, I mean, AP is just so inauthentic here. I mean, we, we should call it the new euphemistic agency. I mean, it's, I, I shouldn't laugh because it's so tragic, but it is like it's a cartoon, it's a caricature of 1984 Newspeak. Right. I can't believe it. But uh, no, if I hadn't heard this right out of your mouth, I, yeah, I right. wouldn't believe that it's actually happening. But yep, the euphemism has now become a real fact. Right, absolutely. It's, it's the only right. possible interpretation right. of events. Goebbels Thank goodness would be very proud AP. of them, right? Right. <laughs> Goebbels would be very That's proud. Right. <laughs> That's right. We, we make sure that the, that the, the, the right point of view is being presented. presented uh, right. And if not, uh, we just cancel you. Right, absolutely. <laughs> and one other story before we get to it. Uh, uh, and you probably heard mm. about that, about the FBI retracting that leaked document out of Richmond, talking about uh, the, they're investigating traditionalist Catholics. Uh, the FBI says it's retracted a leaked document published on February 8th that appears to reveal the Bureau's division in Richmond launched an investigation into radical traditionalists, Catholics and their possible ties to the far-right white nationalist movement. Uh, CNA, our, our, our newswire, had inquired about this, and they retracted it as not meeting exacting standards. Uh, they also talked about the fact that this group, or these traditionalist Catholics, who they describe, are, have an interest, and this is the document, actually, the title was, and it has to be a, a government document because it goes on and on forever, the title, Interest of Racially yeah. or Ethnically Motivated Violent Extremists in Radical Traditionalist Catholic Ideology Almost Certainly Presents New uh, mitigation opportunities and it signals out Catholics who are particularly attached to the Latin mass and they they go well it was only disseminated inside the uh, FBI uh, but it also talks about the fact that they believe that these the, these radicals 
uh, have policy issues of mutual, mutual interest between radical traditional Catholics and violent extremists, and that they define violent extremists as people who are against abortion rights, are against Im un unbridled immigration, against affirmative action and LGBTQ protection. So uh, that's a pretty broad group. Yeah, all I can say, Doug, is, uh, boy, if that's really true, and I, I, this is the first time I've heard of it, I, I have to tell you that the FBI really does need uh, uh, its own, uh, you know, an agency, some overseeing agency to look into what's going on there. I mean, maybe the Congress uh, now reconfigured mm -hmm. can start, you know, looking into that because I, I think that that is, you know, the leaping non sequitur of the century. Right. I mean, here you have, uh, you know, um, you know, you know, 99 percent of traditional Catholics have no interest in pr promoting <laughs> extreme violence. I Absolutely. Mean, you know, the whole point about being anti-abortion is you're against the violence. I mean, so the the idea that Absolutely. they're out there promoting violence is is so ridiculous and somebody has come up with this obviously uh, for bias and we can think of these same scenarios mm -hmm. that were used in the 1930s right Ku Klux Klan kind of deals um, that uh, you know to promote anti-Jewish and anti-African-American um, uh, uh, etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm -hmm. all these various sentiments uh, you know to connect them with uh, you know you know marginal groups communist groups whatever kind of thing you know to, to get them going but the whole point is right. be careful they're violent and so now we see it coming up again now it's of course the the traditional right. Catholics just want to go to a Latin mass they might be anti-abortion and uh, and they and they might say that vocally but now they're being connected mm -hmm. with uh, you know right. extremists well, and violent we've moved people. into I mean, the world I, of I'm the, not surprised yeah, the thought police I mean now it's not what you do it's what you're thinking yeah. right well I think the first thing though yeah but I think we need to find out what the FBI's thinking <laughs> and get the leaked memo Right, uh, and and trace it back to its origin. So I'm hoping uh, somebody in the Congress will at least, in, you know, initiate a com uh, some form, uh, some committee uh, to investigate this kind of thing because it's it's the kind of bias and prejudice, and marginalization, and and uh, leaping non sequitur generalizations mm -hmm. uh, that are totally unfair, totally prejudicial, and this is of course right. what our law enforcement agencies are using as a basis I mean talk about you know uh, uh, you know <laughs> promoting prejudice on an right, official and distorted scale. values and, and you've got the incredibly distorted arms. values exactly. I mean that are the new creed yeah. that I guess everything yeah. is put up against and if you don't follow that yeah. creed then yeah. then you're a heretic so yeah uh, let's well, get not to just a, a heretic yeah. but you got to be a, enemy uh, of the state know, <laughs> uh, kind of enemy of the state exactly right, that's right yes Let's see. I think that was uh, wasn't that a mo uh, book by somebody? Um, <laughs> yeah, I, as I recall, was. wasn't it? <laughs> was it Dostoevsky <laughs> or whoever wrote it? The Enemy of the State. Yeah. One of the Russians. Yeah. Uh, so let's see. Here's a question, dear Father Spitzer. I want to tell you how much I am enjoying your book, Christ versus Satan, and all of Father Spitzer's Universe programs on EW10. I have a question about Eucharistic adoration. We only have adoration of Jesus huh? on Fridays for one hour in our parish. 
and I try to get there when I can. I've seen websites with perpetual adoration on the internet. Is there any grace derived from them, Gail? And we try and feature that as well uh, from our chapel to have people yeah. be able to watch it, yeah. obviously. Oh, yeah. Oh, Gail, uh, yes, I think there really is a grace. I mean, it's it's not like a sacramental grace, right, where you uh, would be receiving Holy Communion or uh, receiving absolution, uh, say, in a confessional setting, etc. However, there is a grace uh, that comes from being in the presence of the Lord. I, I, I It just, it's utterly, you know, it focuses you uh, very, very clearly, uh, not only on the Lord, but on His presence. And sometimes, of course, People can, you know, they can be in adoration for a while, and and they can sort of forget who is there uh, because they're they're present. But there are these absolute moments, uh, you know, that where you are riveted by the Lord, you're you're speaking uh, to Him. It it is a much more you know, palpable mm -hmm. sense of Christ's presence uh, to be in front of, and it, it leads to a unity, a connection mm -hmm. with the Lord, which really does enhance prayer and enhances that conversational aspect, you know, that, that you know, just being mm -hmm. in silence with Him in that chapel, you, you just start, you are going to talk about things that are of importance to you, and things come to mind for, for which you're sorry. Things come to mind for which you're grateful. And, you know, I'm sorry and thank you are two mm. of the best prayers in the world, especially when they're kind of specified. And, and those come out in, in a wonderful way in, in adoration. There's a, a free uh, a document. It was written by a Father John Harden, a, mm -hmm. a Jesuit, a while back on a little history of adoration. It's free on the uh, Internet there, but if you just put John Harden Eucharistic Adoration, you can bring it up, um, and it gives you a little history of it, but it also, throughout the history, he's weaving in a whole spirituality of adoration. And last thing I'll just right. say, I know I'm bloviating on, but, but is if you've ever been to a focus conference, that's a fellowship of Catholic University students, if you've ever been to one of their conferences with their 17,000 uh, good college students, the one thing is to see those kids in adoration, mm -hmm. and the adoration is done all night, you know, as they're kind of leading up to the the, um, uh, to the confessions. Mm -hmm. And then, I'm not kidding you, you get 10,000, 11,000 kids in that confessional line, you're there till wow. 2 in the morning. But the really interesting thing is, it changes everything at the conference. There's there before go. the adoration confession and after the adoration the confession. Right. It is, oh, it's palpably Absolutely. different. The joy is palpably different. The, the relief and freedom, you know, the, the sunny uh, self, right. you know, the satisfaction, is, as Newman would have called it, is just palpably, right. you know, there, whereas it really wasn't there right. before. So it is a, a real powerful grace. Absolutely. And I just want to encourage well, we'll have the, it uh, for anybody. Right, and the year of the Eucharist, of course, uh, this year uh, that yeah. we're focusing on. It's really, really important. We're going to talk more about that when we're back with Father Spitzer after this quick break. Much more ahead. Stay with us. staying with us here on Father.
Father Spitzer's universe. And of course, you know, after the program, if you get a chance, wanted to promote something, check out our new program. It's a little mini series, it's a web mini series, which means it's five parts. Each one only runs about five minutes or so. And it's available on the web. It tells the story of James, an atheist who finds work as a handyman in a Catholic church. He encounters the strange new world of Catholicism, finding his ideals challenged by the no-nonsense pastor while developing a romantic interest in a parishioner. Each episode, like I said, is only five to ten minutes long, uh, and people are complaining because they wish it was more. But uh, it's sure to grab your attention. Uh, it's gotten some great feedback and make you smile. It'll make Steve Beaumont smile since he was behind the idea of doing this. And that's James Celeste on our EWTN YouTube channel. You can see some of the video clips there give you a sense of what it's all about. Something a little different, something reaching out into the web world uh, of short-form programming. We hope you enjoy it. And if you like it, let us know so we can see if we can do more of that on the network. And with that, we go to Father Spitzer, and whose program has never uh, described as short form. Uh, so uh, we go down to <laughs> True enough, true enough. I must admit, obloviation is intrinsic to my personality. <laughs> no, no, it's in depth. In depth. That's what we're doing. In depth here. So, uh, all right. Here, here's, another, here's, a, here's, a, here's another question. Dear Father Spitzer, what can I say to my niece, a mother of three young children, and expecting a fourth with her husband, who has now legally changed his name? engendered a non-binary. She has been a surrogate twice, once for a gay couple. Her husband is very anti-Christian, and on social media, my niece has said she may be polyamorous and a pagan. Oh, wonderful. It's alliterative, anyway. It is painful to watch the lives of this family, and I want to kid about this, that I love continue to unfold in a way that is contrary to the moral wisdom of the Catholic Church, and it absolutely has to be painful, and that's for Donna. What do you do when you're in a situation like that, and you're a faithful Catholic and you want to reach out? Well, uh, Donna, I, I just think there is a, a level of um, uh, dis being deceived, almost willingly deceived, that is so deep there. And, uh, you know, darkness sometimes compounds on darkness. Mm -hmm. But uh, I would say wait, keep your powder dry until you get uh, to a point where she is feeling a kind of a pain or an alienation in her life. Because you, you just can't continue to live a life like that, right? Uh, be polyamorous, you know, be a surrogate for uh, gay people, do all these various kinds of things, right? Y you know, in a way, she thinks she's doing it for the right reason. And so, you know, if you try and challenge her uh, when she has this kind of uh, culturally um, a skewed mm -hmm. uh, form of being, uh, uh, you know, righteous uh, in, in, in the secular way, uh, it's, it's not going to do any good. But what happens, though, is there's something, you know, the statistics I've given on the program before, when you get into lifestyles like this and you start doing these things, even because you think you're doing it for the right reasons mm -hmm. or for good reasons or to be open and helpful and things of that nature, what's going to happen is you 
you're going to wind up in the darkness. Mm -hmm. You're going to wind up undercutting what we call in the Catholic Church covenant love. Mm -hmm. And, you know, no matter, you know, even though you think you're being nice and you're doing something right, when you're doing these kinds of things, the idea of covenant love, the idea of, uh, you know, love that's oriented toward a family, uh, a family that's constituted by a marriage which is exclusive and permanent and, and, and you know, of, you know, this, this love of self-sacrifice and commitment, all right, that, that's not just, uh, you know, doing whatever you want, but trying to do it, you know, per se for the family. Mm -hmm. as, as you start moving into a track like that, you find yourself becoming progressively more and more alienated as you undercut the very kind of love, the very kind of stability, uh, which all of us seek. Uh, and especially, um, she, she probably has a, a view of God that is, uh, well, I would say either non-existent or it's a very unusual uh, notion of God uh, who is completely permissive of everything and has no moral instruction. Well, eventually, if you have no moral, uh, uh, no mores to anchor you, if you have no moral norms to, to, to anchor you, if you are just pounding against your own conscience and, and sort of moving in this uh, radical direction, and feelings of emptiness, alienation, loneliness, dread uh, happen because you, you can't live apart from God. If you exclude God from your life or you exclude the morals which he is giving you not only through scriptural writ, but he's giving you those things through your conscience. Uh, and, and if you start just blunting your conscience and blunting, um, you know, a scriptural writ, blunting, uh, you know, major sources of revelation, blunting what C.S. Lewis would call the eight big principles of, of moral norms that are, uh, you know, uh, present in every culture and in every religion, if you start blunting these things, uh, the, the statistics will show show you that you are exceedingly likely to feel a sharp increase in emptiness, alienation, loneliness, dread, guilt, etc. And this will increase over the course of time. So even people who think I'm doing it for all the right reasons, you can't escape the fact that you're undercutting God's plan, you're undercutting God's norms, you're, you're, you're basically undermining your relationship with God. And even if you tr say, no, I have a very good relationship with God, it's basically not the God of your conscience and not the God of, of Scripture. It's, it's basically the God you, you're kind of making up. And I'm sure you have a good relationship with that God uh, kind of in like your own mind. like a projection, you know, this kind of God-like yeah, projection, projection you make, you make yeah. to yourself, right? right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well I guess it, she could pray. Up with you. She could pray for those people, obviously, yeah. and that's one of the things she you can do. Could. And I guess look for opportunities yep. where there might be opportunities to gently Offer well, some, when the know. pain happens, yeah, that's yeah. the point. Right, that's In what other you words, said. when right, you right. start, yeah, when the alienation occurs and you start seeing the emptiness, you can see the malaise, you can see the enthusiasm drop, you mm -hmm. can see that there's kind of a, a real hole in their heart, you can see, you know, hear these signs of depression, anxiety, etc. When you hear that, there's a point at which you can just say, hey, have you ever thought about maybe coming back to church? Have you ever thought about maybe just, uh, you know, uh, coming back to, uh, uh, you know, confession for just a second, just to, to re get reconnected uh, with your uh, uh, pr previous Catholic faith.
And that's, that's the time when people are really suffering. Mm -hmm. There really is an opportunity there. And, and I served as a hospital chaplain for quite a while. And boy, when people were facing life and death surgeries, I'll tell you, there was an openness to God mm -hmm. that you had never seen before. And when you actually you know, hear those confessions, there's an outpouring there that is truly right. remarkable. Uh, they, they know there's something errant in their lives. They know that they have somehow cut off God or ignored Him or kind of went their own way. They know. Mm -hmm. And uh, when they pour it all out and get reconnected with the true God and not just the God of their imagination, right. you know, it, uh, it really is a healing process. Right, right. <laughs> kind of like they say, no uh, atheists in foxholes. So uh, we can yep. move to uh, exactly. to your book, The Deadly Sins, Part Two: <laughs> Satan's Tactics, Page Three Three Three, as opposed to Six Six Six. I guess uh -oh. it's halfway through yeah. the, to the devil here on Three Three Three. You talk about the proud man undermines and injures others for the sheer pleasure of injuring them, which makes him feel superior. Yeah. Why is it that we we feel superior when we do something? Well, it's the whole idea of if I can injure you and get away with it, if I can injure you and, and uh, you still have to smile at me uh, because, right. you know, uh, uh, if, 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 you, if you don't smile at me, I can injure you further mm -hmm. even more, right, then there is a feeling of absolute superiority. It's, it's conquer, it's master and slave. And so, uh, you know, even Augustine, uh, you know, noticed that in his own life. If you, you know, remember the early chapters of the Confessions when he's taking all those guys' pears and he's, he's not eating them himself. He's not stealing them to eat them. He's stealing them to just throw them at the tree and, you know, just to throw them away and destroy them because he knows he's hurting that person mm -hmm. and he just likes wasting perfectly good fruit. He right. just, there's something in him that just, uh, I like flaunting, you know, my will mm -hmm. even over against common sense, even wasting, you know, perfectly good for even harming this guy. I just love that my will is superior to it all. And Augustine says, as he later reflects on it, scares the living daylights out of him, right? He, he can't believe it, you know, that he actually got into that mode. And, and uh, you know, the same thing with, what you know, it scares him to think that he could be talking people into going to the Colosseum to get their dose of bloodlust just to yeah. almost like seduce them, just to, you know, as a, you know, he's such a fool, he'll probably go and and get you know reconnected with it and and so you know all of a sudden he discovers oh my gosh I need God more than ever I mean this this is like there's a wickedness right. here that 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 scared him and so well that's you know, what's he, interesting um, it seems to come uh, out of that as that pride happens and that power things the power starts to lead oh, yeah. people to do be crueler and crueler in what they do to people right oh yeah oh yeah and I mean you'd, you'd think well these terrible things that they were doing to people in a concentration right. camp. I mean, this is nothing more than unmitigated pride expressed as, you know, cruel power 
over another human being. It's an utter contempt for another human being, an utter proclamation of your superiority over another human being, which all spells, I'm God before before you, you little peasant. And so, you know, the, the SS officers, right, that mm -hmm. used to say, oh, we just enjoyed shooting these, these uh, poor uh, Jewish people and in the back of the head, you know, it was kind of like a game. And of course, they'd be sitting there quaking in fear uh, before us, and then you just say, oh, boom, yep. you know. You know, there you go. And of course, you know, it's it's playing God all the way. But uh, just remember, God doesn't like it when you're playing God, because uh, you're not God. Right. And uh, at, the, at the end of the day, all those cruelties that you are doing when you're playing God, who in fact is not cruel, but is really, uh, you know, the God right. of, of love, you know, this, you know, you, you know, this is the darkest of the dark. I mean, you're just connected with the evil spirit uh, in, in, uh, in uh, true, right. Right. Uh, you know, uh, like you black said. fashion. <clears throat> it kind of moves into mm -hmm. self-idolatry as you talk about uh, the Bible, uh, and you mentioned, of course, Eve, of course, with pride being the temptation. But you also talk about, you say, that much of the first mm -hmm. book of Samuel is devoted to the transformation of Saul from a humble man to an overweeningly proud king who fragrantly dis disobeyed yeah. the Lord. So that pride goes before the fall, yeah. as we say, right? Oh yeah, it surely does, and and it's what uh, in, you know initiates uh, the envy he feels toward David, right? Uh, when the women are chanting, you know, uh, Saul has killed mm. his thousands, and David has killed his tens of thousands. Saul did not like that, right. and uh, he heard that, and uh, what do you mean, David's superior to me? I'm superior to everybody because I'm the king, and uh, basically, what does he do? I mean, within you know, a, a few verses, he's already out there plotting to kill David, uh, an innocent who has actually been helping him, who has been riding with his armies, who's been a very successful leader. And that one comment, and he wants to kill this innocent man, he is just filled with rage and indignation, pride with a capital P. All right. You say on page 336, much of the book of Proverbs is devote, devoted to warnings about pride and admonitions towards humility. Mm -hmm. And the lead is when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility is wisdom. All right. And also pride goeth uh, before a downfall mm -hmm. and uh, a haughty heart before the fall. I mean, another very important proverb. And, uh, and there are many of them because I think, uh, you know, good Jewish wisdom literature and Proverbs was an early form of Jewish wisdom literature. Mm -hmm. And you can see that they are very conscious of how destructive this thing is because pride always kind of goes through these stages. It escalates upwards and you, you almost get addicted to it. Once you have it, you gotta have more. Once you feel, you know, the obsequiousness of people who are forced to bow before you, you just gotta have more. You know, once you feel the adulation of people who have to bow before you and admit that you are superior before them, almost godlike, you gotta have more. And so uh, what winds up happening is that you, 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 you know, start thinking of yourself as not only messianic, but mm -hmm. even divine before other people, and that's when it can become mm -hmm. very, very well, cruel. 
I'll do anything to establish my superiority before me. And if you should make a wise crack while I'm being cruel to you, I I'm going to torture you to the point where you regret it. And, uh, you know, it's, you look at it and you go, oh, how could human beings get this way? Right. Well, because, you know, there's something <laughs> in us that wants to be superior to other people, prove our superiority to other people, prove that we have power over other people. And people will say, no, I really don't have that desire. Mm. Well, it's <laughs> there in every human heart. Right, right. And, of course, it can be sort of cranked well, up. Right. And before you notice, yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting, too, because we talk and we refer, like, to Nazi Germany as kind of like the template for these kind of things. Oh, yeah. But sometimes people like to say, well, they were all crazy. These people were crazy, or they were all born evil. They weren't. There were some evil people at the they top. Were, yeah. But the vast majority were good people yeah. who got led down a bad path. Oh, uh, absolutely. And, uh, and they uh, you joined know, in. kind of unleashed... Right. Right. They did. And I mean, and then when Hitler thought, well, these brown shirts are not violent enough, right. I think I'm going for the black shirts, the old SS there. You know, uh, they're, they're, they do my wishes even more than I could, you know, ever expect, you know. And, and uh, Himmler is, he's really got the right idea mm -hmm. about how to extinguish the world from all these plutocrats and Jewish people and all these gypsies and all these uh, uh, people who are right, uh, right. intellectuals, et cetera. Right, so, absolutely. you know, he, you know, definitely Himmler was, was uh, uh, Goebbels himself, you know, yeah. who had a doctorate and, and, and uh, was very intelligent, you know, obviously, uh, but he definitely, uh, uh, had a black heart and right. Hitler unleashed it and uh, you talk about trying to prove yourself superior right. and then Eichmann well, you know uh, right. well, he just couldn't you know he, he had to right. yeah exactly well you had what Himmler yeah. was a bespeckled chicken farmer before he became uh, yes he know, was as he was that's doing. right, right. Yeah, so well Hitler was a failed artist <laughs> artist right yeah <laughs> let's face back yeah. Yeah. it's interesting how yeah I like this line every uh, it's right below there everyone who is arrogant is an abomination to the Lord be assured he will not go unpunished we live in a world today where people think Jesus loves everybody accepts everybody no matter what they are and so don't worry about it. Uh, yeah well arrogance you know it's uh, believe me when I read that I think yike because <laughs> I know I'm guilty of it and uh, and I can tell you you know that that you know the truth of the matter is is that arrogance oftentimes is its own undermining as the other proverbs say and it's not only its own undermining it it, it can actually seep into your soul and get worse and worse and worse to the point where no one could possibly stand you possibly not even your mother so uh, at that juncture you know you're uh, you're in real trouble so I mean arrogance you know doesn't necessarily have to be punished by God it's its own punishment mm -hmm. so much of the time it just destroys relationships and not only that it destroys other people mm -hmm. and uh, ultimately when it starts doing that as they say right. the Lord isn't gonna like it you know I mean, right and he, he's gonna he, have to right and he wants you to turn away from that but it's kind of like we talk about sending ourselves to hell effectively yeah. what we're doing is destroying ourselves yeah. 
Right. Absolutely. And the, right. what the, the Lord is trying to tell us is you're cooperating with an enemy here. You're cooperating with the darkness. You do not know how much that darkness hates you, mm -hmm. even in your hatred. It's a theme that comes out so beautifully in uh, C.S. Lewis's uh, Screwtape Letters, mm -hmm. where, you know, obviously Uncle Wormwood, mm -hmm. who's writing to his fine nephew Screwtape, mm -hmm. a young devil who needs to uh, get some instruction, but it's all filled. The, the underlying, uh, you know, dimension of the screw tape letters is Wormwood hates his niece, nephew. Uh, he's trying to coach him because he wants him to be, you know, come into the darkness and to help other people to come into the darkness, which will separate them from themselves, alienate them from God, alienate them from themselves, and ultimately throw them into the same. Uh, kinds of darkness, depression, hatred, envy, uh, you know, that, that right. uh, you know, bedraggles his own life and, and curses his own life. Uh, you know, he's, it's the, the, the theme is, right. you know, um, Screwtape uh, is hated by Wormwood, not by, right. not, uh, a you know, your loving Uncle Wormwood, you know, I mean, um, or excuse me, your loving Uncle Screwtape. I, I got was going to say, I, I uh, yeah. turned around there. Yes. Yeah, sorry about that. That's okay. But, yeah, uh, Wormwood <laughs> is the, uh, yeah. Yeah, but my dear basically, uh, That's how he yeah. writes his right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can still hear yeah, John Cleese with the audio uncle. version. Yeah. That's all right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, great yeah. version well, John loving, uh, Yeah. put Dearest that in scare Wormwood. quotes when it's on. Okay. Well, You're just in a blast. Yes, yes. So we have a couple of minutes to yeah. go. Uh, you turn to the New Testament. You say, yeah. as with envy, Jesus does not give a specific condemnation or of pride in the Gospels because he assumes that his audience is aware the wholesale denunciation in every part of the Old Testament. Instead, he extols the opposite virtues of humility, compassion, charity, meekness, <coughs> gentle hardness, <coughs> and love of enemies, equating that with the heart of his heavenly Father. That's right. And so Jesus actually goes to the positive attitude of the heart. <clears throat> I mean, there is a, certainly a place for condemning pride. And Jesus says, you know, proud people are going to go, you know, at the end of the day, they're, they're going to be um, at the end of the table. You know, they're, they're going to go lower. Mm -hmm. uh, so he does say that. But basically, Jesus, about 90% of the time, emphasizes humility gentle, humble-heartedness, gentle-heartedness, uh, you know, all the various, you know, peacemaking, um, uh, compassion and mercy, uh, just the opposites mm -hmm. of pride. And so the Beatitudes really are kind of an anti-pride, um, you know, a, a document, but of course it's not phrased as being mm -hmm. against pride, but if you want a, an antidote to pride, it's the Beatitudes, because that is the way right. to fully actualize love in your life. So um, I think that uh, uh, Jesus right. has that definitely in mind, and that's the accent that he always chooses, or almost always right. uh, chooses and, to and promote. With, and with one minute to go, Jesus also gives an implicit condemnation of pride in his repeated condemnations, as you were alluding to, of the Pharisees' self-righteousness, which arises out of their overweening spiritual pride. Mm -hmm. That's right, and um, there's no question that uh, uh, <laughs> Jesus does put that in very exact terms. You know, you whitewashed walls, you know, you whitewashed mm -hmm. tombs, you know, you, you uh, uh, 
um, you, you know, you look beautiful on the outside, but boy, on the inside, filled with rapaciousness and dead men's bones. Well, I, you can't say it any uh, more clearly than that. But that's directed at the religious authorities because Jesus thinks that spiritual pride, especially in the hands mm -hmm. of these Pharisees, they should know better. Right, absolutely. They should right, know right. that. Exactly. The self-righteousness is going to be killing them, yet at the same time uh, they are promoting this, and they are in the same breath excluding others from the kingdom of God. They're making it so hard, and they're laying such heavy burdens to lay upon people's shoulders that they can't possibly uh, get in, you know, to the kingdom. So they're creating not only this obstacle to God's will, uh, they're creating an obstacle to forgiveness, right. they're creating an obstacle to people getting into the kingdom, and of course creating great discouragement, yeah. loss and of one hope, of the and even despair. great obstacles of this program is we are out of time, so give us your blessing, Father, on the way out the door. <laughs> That'd right. be great. Okay. Good. And bow your heads and pray for God's blessing. And may the Lord, who truly is love and humble-heartedness, gentle-heartedness, peacemaking, compassionate, and merciful, send His Spirit into your hearts to transform you so that in following Him, you may create hope and create faith and create the path to eternal salvation that He desired for us all. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Spitzer. We'll see you next week, Ash Wednesday. And of course, Father Spitzer's books and DVDs are available in EWTN's religious catalog. Of course, next week we'll continue with our topic about pride. And the bookmark this weekend is a book published by Tan. It's a resurrection book series, a really interesting series of books, The Glories of Heaven. And it's presented by Father Robert Nixon from Australia. Very interesting interview. And we've got the dedication of Blessed Stanley Rother's Shrine, live from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. That's Friday, February 17th at 12 noon Eastern Time. An American martyr. Check it out. I'm Doug Keck. Check us out next time when we once more enter Father Spitzer's universe. We'll look for you then. Thanks.